Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gents, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Michael Pasarek, CEO of Vancouver-based Orchestry Software. A serial entrepreneur, six-time Microsoft SharePoint MVP, former co-founder of Dynamic Owl Consulting and of Bonsai Internet, Intranet, Michael Pasarek is a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, Microsoft 365 thought leader, and a former professional chef. At Orchestry, Michael works with Fortune 500 companies to deliver maximum efficiency for their Microsoft 365 investments. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Rick. Uh, super happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. The first thing we like to do, before I ask you about being a professional chef, the first thing we like to do is just establish what are the, the, the points that you think entrepreneurs can, are, are going to take away from this conversation if they give us their time over the next 40 minutes or so. What do you think uh, we're going to talk about that they're going to learn from? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. So I think the first one I really love to talk about with everyone, it's, it's all about execution, I think, from an entrepreneurial perspective. And uh, you know, in my mind, even an average idea that is executed well, um, you know, with a big focus on customer and customer detail, um, I think is much better than having a really fantastic idea with 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 poor execution. Um, I can't come up with great ideas. You know, I'm just not that not that smart. Um, but I tend to focus on execution really, really well. And I think that's something from an entrepreneurial perspective, we, we tend to forget. We're always looking for the next great idea. I think we can really focus on that, um, on you know looking at the, the execution part of things. And then the other part I would say as well is um, just a general you know entrepreneurial sort of sort of tip is be as passionate about the problem that you're trying to solve and the customers and the value that you're trying to provide 
the organizations that are working with you as you are about the technology. I, I think I see far too many entrepreneurs, they fall in love with the technology they're trying to use, um, but they don't live or they're not in love with the problem that they're solving or the problems that their customers are, are facing. And I think that's really, really critical and really, really important. Um, in orchestry side, we live those challenges every day. Um, you know, we, we really try to create a tool that we know is going to be beneficial for our customers and for us also. Um, so I think that's something that's that's really, really important. And then just the last tip, um, just be nice to people. I know everyone's trying to, you know, uh, take your time and pinging you on LinkedIn and trying to sell you various services and, and, and so forth. But I think if you can just make sure that you maintain relationships, it's it's going to it's going to really uh, help you in, in that journey that you're about to go on. Uh, that one really intrigues me before we get start getting all technical and businessy. Tell me about a time that you were nice to someone that 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 made an impact. Cuz some of us are probably afraid to be nice. We think everyone else has got it all. They don't need me to be nice to them. No, I think you know, I I try to be both nice and transparent and really honest as I I as well. And I think, you know, with the the rise of social media, you look at all these really successful entrepreneurs and they seem to have all the right answers and know what to do. You know, I'll be honest with you, with you, you know, Rick, I, I already have most of the time, we really don't have any idea what we're trying to do, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're learning on the go and it's been successful and we're testing things and we're changing, we're changing things. But I think being able to have those relationships with with people and talking to people respe respectfully, talking to customers respectfully also. You know, there's a lot of occasions where we might speak to a potential customer. Our software might not be what they need at this point in time. But, you know, instead of uh, instead of just shooing them away or, or, or not talking to them, cultivating that relationship is really important. And, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a really good example. You know, there was a customer that just came to us from a very large Fortune 500 company they spoke to us a couple of years ago or a few years ago, more than a few years ago, when they were at a different company, but that company only had 100 people. Now they're working at an organization or the head of an organization which has close to 150,000 people. And, and I think it's, it's those relationships that we, we started, you know, we cultivated re really early on that, that helped us um, grow to, to where we are. So I think that idea of, you know, cultivating relationships with, with people is, is really, really important. There's a lot of products out there. I think everyone's doing things which are really, really similar. I know everyone's doing something that's different and, and, and innovative. But I truly believe that in the end, particularly in, in the kind of business-to-business -business space where we are with the enterprise space, a lot of the times people are buying software, but they're also buying from the people behind the scenes, you know, they're buying into their values, they're buying into that, into, into, into that vision. So being able to communicate that with some level of, uh, of decorum, I guess, um, is really, really important. Okay, but I'm just going to push back a little bit on this and talk about nice. So what does nice mean? It, presumably, it doesn't mean being a pushover. Presumably, it doesn't mean trying to sell to everyone you meet. What, what does nice mean to you? I think in IT, yeah, no, you're definitely right. I mean, you don't want to be that pushy sort of sales person. I think in the end, um, nice means being respectful to to, to people, um, not not wasting their time. Just simple things as you know, turning up to meetings on time or not canceling meetings um, beforehand. Um, but in the end, in in my mind, it's just making sure that you take time out to make sure that people are appreciated, um, and you know, understanding that. Um, they're taking as much time out of their day as you're taking out of your day also. Um, and in the end, in, our, in my case as well, you know, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of occasions where the best type of work we've done with customers is us pushing back saying no, right? Where we will actually go back to a customer and say, you know, they would say, we really love your product. We want to buy it, but you just have to add this extra feature for us. Right? And that's something I think a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly in the tech sector face when they develop their products really early on, where you're trying to land customers and you might not know exactly where that product market fit is. So especially a lot of larger customers are, you know, asking you, well, you know, we really love this your product, but you just have to put in this one particular piece of fun- functionality, which we, 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 which we really need. Um, I think from my mind, you know, being able to communicate back to a potential customer and say, you know, we'd love to do this, but we can't at the moment because of these reasons and how it, 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 it would affect the rest of the product and, and the rest of our customers. Uh, is really really useful and you know maybe you don't call that nice maybe you call that honest or even trans trans transparent but i think a lot of those values really really would serve you well right okay thank you i appreciate this so michael take us on your entrepreneurial journey what started you on the entrepreneur path and how did orchestry come to be so originally um if you can't tell by the accent i'm not I'm, I'm not Canadian or I'm, I'm not from here. I'm originally from, from Australia. And uh, when I landed here in Vancouver in 2008, um, I was kind of tr- trying to see what I was going to do next in my career. I come from a, um, I come from both a hospitality background. So I, I, I used to be, I used to be a chef. Um, and then I went back and did a computer science degree and then moved uh, into kind of programming, but then more into business analyst, project management type, type, Type of activity. So I was, I was never a very good programmer, to be honest with you, Rick, um, which is why I kind of felt the need to, I guess, do more sort of people people facing roles. When I came to Vancouver, um, you know, after being backpacking for a while, essentially I was I was pretty much broke, so I needed to find to find a job, um, and I wanted to see what technologies were really making a difference for for organizations. And it was at that time um, SharePoint and the Microsoft kind of tool suite was was one of those tools, as well as SAP. Um, I ended up starting to work with the Microsoft stack and in, in SharePoint, as it was known known in those days. Um, and then I started working for a, a few well-known consulting companies here in Vancouver. Um, and then being young and being kind of, you know, stupid, I think you see the opportunity there that, you know, you, you think you might be able to do things a little bit different, maybe a little bit better. Um, and then the first company that I was fortunate to start in, I think it was 2012, was a company called Dynamic Our Consulting. So we were a consulting company based here out of Vancouver, Canada, uh, really doing work around the Microsoft SharePoint stack, in particular, doing a lot of um, large-scale intranet projects. And then what we found was doing these projects or these the, these intranets for, for organizations, we found a lot of commonality. So we were doing these, you know, very large custom engagements where we were going through this whole song and dance. But in the end, we we're really building things which were very, very common across industries, verticals, sizes of companies. So we pivoted Dynamic Owl uh, into more of a product-based company. So that product was Bonsai, in, uh, Bonsai Intranet. Um, which was essentially an out-of-the-box intranet that you could you could deploy. So instead of taking six to twelve months to go through this very large intranet uh, requirements gathering and custom development sort of sort of phase, which was very much the trend back in those days, uh, we created a solution which was very rapid to deploy, um, six to twelve weeks, lots of great great capabilities and and functionality from a corporate communications perspective and a communication uh, and a collaboration perspective. Sorry. Uh, all on the Microsoft platform. Um, we were lucky I'm always to- interested. Sorry to interrupt. I'm yeah, always interested 
in the names of companies and the underlying hidden message behind the name. So Banzai seems to be a the name B-O-N-Z-A-I sounds like it's a combination of Banzai, which is a war cry of some sort, and bonsai plants, which is no, supposed to make me think about, um, you know, a reflection and calmness. So it it is yeah. <laughs> tell so me about the name. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're uh, I think we're known for crazy names. So the bonsai name um, we wanted. So originally what we came up with was, you know, your intranet should be a calming place and it should be a place that grows with you as your organization evolves over time. So we thought that a bonsai tree would be uh, a fairly apt metaphor for that. Unfortunately, um, getting the domain name with bonsai as it's spelled with the S was like impossible. Um, but bonsai with the Z, that domain was not taken. So that is why, that is why we went down that option. Um, it was it was purely just to be able to get the, the the domain name. It was it was a bit too expensive. Interesting. I really like the creative tension in that name. It is, yeah. And then the dynamic owl name, because that's yeah. another one that people asked us about. So that has, um, I guess, not as interesting of a story. I mean, when you register a company, typically within BC or I guess within within Canada, you need to have some sort of name. Now you can give it a number, you know, one two three seven nine. Call, no one call. will ever remember that. Exactly. So I used to have this owl toy, stuffed toy on my bed. I don't know where I got it from. And I was like, well, maybe owl consulting, you know, would be would be would be pretty good. And I thought that was going to be a good name. And then I remember reading an article on the, the Internet the same day saying that, you know, if you want to have a really good startup name, one of the trends is you have like an animal and then you have some sort of dynamic verb associated with this, you know, like Swift Fox, for instance. And I thought, well, Dynamic Owl is probably a, a pretty good thing for a consulting company. Owls are wise and, and, and smart, but we tend to think we're fairly dynamic di dynamic people. And originally, we were just going to use that as, um, you know, a temporary name uh, whilst we worked with like a marketing right. organization to come up with a name that was slightly, um, I guess, more, more professional. Um, but I was doing a lot of public speaking at a time and I was just talking, you know, about Dynamic Owl, Dynamic Owl, and people seemed to like it, so it, it, it stuck. Right. Okay. So, 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 so just bring us up to date then, since, since I interrupted you there as how you got from the owls to bonsai sure. to orchestry. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, so like I said, we, we made a conscious choice then to, to move away from a pure, pure consulting company into a moral product based or, uh, based organization. And that product was our, our bonsai intranet product. Um, and this is not an easy thing. I think it's something that a lot of consulting companies, particularly in the Microsoft space, are, are trying to do, where you're trying to move away from the consulting side of things. Um, you know, consulting's fantastic. It's also really, really hard um, and difficult. Um, anyone who is, I think, worked for a consulting company or is even an entrepreneur that's doing consulting, there's always this very fine balance between too little work and too much work. And, you know, there's always these the, the, these up and downs. And, and, and you get the... You you get the 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 the, the feast or famine <laughs> exactly uh, syndrome as well exactly and it's always yeah it's always this tension you know between like we have to go and sell as much work as, as we can and then it's like oh shoot we've sold too much work now we have to go hire all these people <laughs> and now it's like okay now we've hired them all so we have to sell some more work it's like this constant constant hamster wheel um, so when we decided to to create bonsai it was a really good time. Um, in the, the, the market. 
um, we had a really innovative product. We had a, not only the technology was was great, it was based all on the Microsoft platform, but in addition to that, we had a series of services that we sold as well, which which our people executed executed really well. Um, and it was an interesting interesting journey, you know, from a small Vancouver company, we were maybe 15 people at that, at that, at that time. When we launched Bonsai, we thought we were gonna do, you know, work with Canadian-based clients, um, but we quickly got a name for ourselves and ended up doing work with very large US-based uh, organizations. Yeah, you big names. Yeah. Big names, yeah. So we did the internet for Macy's, for instance, which was at least a couple of hundred thousand people, uh, AMD, Expedia, Comscope, Compass Group. Um, and the other thing which we're really proud of is over that five-year period, um, two of our customers using Bonsai uh, won, won um, Nielsen Norman Top 10 Intranet Awards, which was really, really rare because those awards are extremely prestigious within within that intranet space. And typically those awards uh, are won by really large organizations that have spent, you know, multi-millions of dollars on their, their intranets. Um, and two of our clients actually won it using the out-of-the-box kind of capabilities that we, we created with Bonsai. So we were super, super proud of that. So we talked about going from consulting to product. Tell me about the opportunity you saw in Orchestry. Sure. So, so Bonsai was acquired in 2018, uh, had a bit of a break uh, for about a year, um, did all of the things that I wanted to do when you couldn't do when you're an entrepreneur. So got a dog and had a baby and, and all of that good stuff. Um, and then really Orchestry started as a research project of me getting back into the Microsoft space and trying to understand what organizations were going through, particularly with Microsoft 365 and Teams, which was their new tool. Um, and originally how Orchestry started was me doing a research project, talking to close to 100 different organizations and customers and trying to really uncover some of the opportunities that, uh, you know, we felt maybe weren't being addressed and also some of the challenges that customers were facing within Microsoft 365. And that took about three to six months. So think of it as a little bit of product research. That's amazing. The, how many companies did you talk to? Probably about two with, with both uh, companies and partners, it was close to a hundred. A hundred so companies, wow. A lot, yeah. It was, and it was all companies, large and small. Um, you know, everything from ten people organizations all the way up to people that had a couple of hundred thousand thousand users. I, and I'm, then, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I, I enjoy interrupting people. Sorry, I'm a huge believer in doing this type of market research, and I'm a believer in doing it before you start the business. <laughs> As opposed to discovering, making making unpleasant discoveries halfway in. Um, tell me what that was like and, and how you would approach people and said, hi, can I come and talk to you about your problems? Um, the, you know, the, what was your pitch to them and what was their response? Are people happy to talk to you? People seem to be very happy to talk about problems. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that, Rick, but people really like to um, vent. As a, as a, as it were, and they, they weren't really venting around, you know, the Microsoft stack stack itself. They were kind of really more venting around, you know, we have all of these tools at our disposal, and Microsoft, particularly within Microsoft 365, provides all of these great capabilities. But I think a lot of organizations were struggling in terms of how do we adapt our organizations to use these technologies in the best possible way. Um, so what I pitched it as is, you know, can I come and speak to you for half an hour, trying to understand where you are on your journey within Microsoft 365, just to help me understand, you know, how we could better help organizations like you within within the future. And then really early on, 
there was a lot of patterns that emerged. And and I had an inkling. And the reason that I had an inkling that some of these could be challenges and opportunities is because I use the tool on a day-to-day basis myself. Um, but really quickly speaking to customers and to, and, and to partners, we really found some common pain points and some big opportunities that uh, we thought you know, we could really uh, take a take take advantage of and create something like Orchestry. Um, you know that we could really help organizations address those those challenges and opportunities that we that we uncovered. So, so I I understand what you did in the two previous jobs. I understand the idea of turning a a, a service into a into a product in a box that people can buy and save a lot of d- development and creativity time. Um, how can you explain to me so I understand because I, I I'm not a big user of, of, of SharePoint or collaboration document management software as a solo entrepreneur. So so what is the opportunity that Orchestry is 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 pursuing? Yeah, so so Microsoft 365 is is Microsoft's um, you know enterprise collaboration tool set, which is a whole range of different tools and different capabilities as part of the Microsoft 365 service. So there's a lot of tools; they all do slightly different things. There's also a lot of overlap in the tools that Microsoft provides, also. So really, what we found the opportunity to do is is a few things. So one of the things that Orchestry does do is help organizations define a strategy around which of these tools to use, which are going to be the most effective for the organization. So for instance, within Microsoft 365, there's multiple different ways to manage tasks, for instance. So you can use something like SharePoint, as you've just mentioned, um, Planner, Microsoft Project, Outlook tasks, for instance. Some of them are going to be useful in some in, 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 in some situations. They're all great tools uh, you know, by themselves. But really what we can help with Orchestry is help define that what to use when strategy for an organization to make sure that you're only presenting those tools and those capabilities that are going to bring the most value to, to, to the company. So that was the first thing. The other biggest thing was really around governance. Um, so governance is this tool, or was this, this term, I guess, that's used a lot, particularly within Microsoft 365, um, to make sure that whatever users are creating in terms of content and how they're, they're, they're working, um, you know, corresponds to not only from a compliance perspective, making sure that things are, are, are secure and, and available, but also making sure that long-term, um, you know, people aren't creating creating content for no reason. There's no duplication of, of content and everything else. So the other thing that Orchestry also does is this concept of, of a governance tool. We help organizations enforce governance. And in the end, that really leads to a better user experience for the front-end workers using those tools. So we stop things like people creating, let's say, SharePoint sites or teams that already exist. Or we help organizations to ensure that when people create assets that they're correctly named and they have the collect they have the collect correct security applied to those items also. Um, and of course with with COVID and the huge influx of organizations onto teams, um, this has been, you know, a pretty uh, a pretty fortuitous time for us. Um, fortunately or, un, or, or unfortunately, just because of the massive, massive growth of Teams. Um, and so many organizations are trying to get onto Microsoft Teams, but they don't have that strategy and they don't have that governance in place. Orchestry helps with those, with those two items. Right. So what is it about the Microsoft ecosystem here of 365 that, that allows you to come in and put this friendly face on it and help simplify things for people? Is, is, is this something Microsoft left out or is this just that you're able to help a certain type of customer find 
their best life in that ecosystem? It's definitely the latter. Um, it's definitely, you know, helping customers um, use the best tools for their particular needs. Um, Microsoft 365 is, is a huge suite of tools um, and capabilities, and there's just so much choice there that for a lot of organizations, there's almost too much choice. You know, there's, there's, there's just so many tools there. I think it used to be previously that in a lot of enterprise software in, in particular, it was the other way. You know, it's here's one tool, you're always going to use this, um, and, and this is the way you're going to work, and the tool might not necessarily be very good. I think with Microsoft 365, they've done a fantastic job of providing a whole range of tools and a whole range of capabilities, but there's so much there that really the challenge can be for organizations, well, how do we make sure that we use the right tools for the right job in our particular context? Um, and that's really where Orchestry helps. So it's nothing that Microsoft has done has 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 done wrong. It's just there's just so much choice there um, that for a lot of organizations, you know, you want people to make to 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 make the, the the right choices at the right time. Right. So tell me what it's like to make that decision that hey, I'm going to start a business and I am going to build it around this other company's ecosystem. I mean, you have to look at it and say, is this system going to be around? Are they going to welcome? Uh, partners like you working on it is is this system going to grow is it going to gain market share are we going to get a lot of excitement around this area um, tell me about just what went through your mind as you said yeah this is what we're going to do yeah so first of all I think Microsoft supports their partners extremely well so we've had a lot of great interactions with Microsoft Canada and Microsoft corporate out, out, out of the US they want partners to be there because ultimately you know they really believe that the technology that they use can make a fundamental difference for for organizations and for and for users and partners like us whether it's services based partners or, or product based partners um, is, is a huge part of that but it is an interesting point Rick because it you know, building on top of someone else's platform adds another level of com another level of com com complexity, because uh, essentially, not only are you looking at the roadmap of, let's say, your own product, but you're also looking at what Microsoft is trying to do and understand what they're trying to do now, but also have an eye into the future. Because the last thing you want to do is build a product of which then Microsoft is going to create those capabilities a couple of year uh, a couple of years down the down the line, for for example. So. I think it's definitely more challenging than you know maybe just doing a startup from scratch for for instance building on top of a platform like microsoft 365 um it's definitely a different challenge but i find it super exciting because there's already so many of these base pieces and base capabilities that something like the microsoft 365 platform provides that we can then build on top of to provide additional value as long as we really understand where microsoft is going and we also really understand what our customers need and how would you describe the risk that this involves? I mean, could they suddenly change and, and, and go to uh, a different format and catch you unawares? Um, you, you know, you're, you're tying yourself to their product and their ecosystem. Correct. You are. Um, I mean, it, it, it happens pretty rarely. But when you think about it, you know, there's 200 million active users of Microsoft Teams. You know, for for us, so for, for us, there's a market there that not only can we uh, can can we leverage, but we also have the support of of Microsoft to to sell into and to and, and to help. So there's a there's a bit of a balance there. There's definitely the risk that Microsoft could completely change tact and could develop their own version of of Orchestry for for for, for, for example. Uh, I hope that they don't. I'm pretty sure that they that they 
won't. Um, but really, I think the benefits and the upside of that is um, for us working on a platform like like Microsoft is, you know, we have that market there. A lot of the things that we might have to do in terms of security or authentication or some of these more technical pieces, these are already these ground level components that are built in. And particularly from the enterprise space, Microsoft has that trust of customers and, and consumers in terms of data and and security. For us, you know, as, as a business, we could really look at those value-added services or even vertical services from a product perspective um, that helps leverage all, all of those tools. So it's definitely risky in, in one way, but I, I feel that the, the benefits far outweigh any of the uh, any of the risks. Right, right. And let me just ask you a question that I honestly don't know the answer to. Um, is this environment um, something that entrepreneurs should be looking at if they're not already engaged? In it, I mean, I think you know they start off with Slack and whatever uh, programs they're used to working with in the past. Um, is 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 this just an enterprise solution, or is it something startups should be looking at? No, I, I think it's something startups should be should be looking at also. Um, and we have a lot of orchestry customers who are you know five, ten, twenty people companies. Um, I, I I love the Microsoft three six five stack. I think the the whole experience of it is really really compelling. And from an entrepreneur. Uh, perspective, you know, for 25 bucks a month, for instance, you've got your chat, you've got your voice, you've got your calling, you've got your document management, you maybe got some business process automation there. Uh, also, you've got Microsoft Teams now. Um, there's just so much there that instead of having, you know, instead of buying maybe five to 10 different tools and not having them integrated together, that whole integration story with, with Microsoft is, is really, really compelling. So definitely, you know, Microsoft 365 is not just an enterprise piece of software. Um, it's one of the first tools that I would recommend entrepreneurs look at because it can do so much. Manage your email, help you with your document management, um, you know, communicate, collaborate, uh, all of those pieces. So, uh, you know, there's other tools out there, obviously. Um, and there's probably some some point solutions which are probably better than some of the capabilities, but there's nothing else out there within the market of Lisa, I've seen that has such a broad footprint of capabilities that can help organizations and, and entrepreneurs. That sounded like a pretty genuine uh, 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 test testimonial. I like it. Can mm -hmm. you give me an example of a, a way that SharePoint or, 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 or Orchestry or, or 365, how they can, you know, change uh, the game for an SME? Sure, sure. And, and and don't get me wrong, Rick. Like I'm not doing a sales pitch here for, for my No, I know that. I know that. There's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff that I that I like. There's also a lot of stuff that drives me bonkers, right? So um, Well thank you for saying that. I'm sure a lot of people just said, Oh, he's a good guy. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean it's you know, it's there's a lot of stuff that I really like and there's a lot of stuff I keeps me up at night and it's I'm like, it's like who came up with this? This doesn't this doesn't make any sense. But um in terms of from uh, for SMEs, yeah. So let me give you some examples of, of how organizations are, are using Teams and they're, they're using Orchestry because some pretty interesting stories. So we have a very fairly large uh, realtor-based organization, so selling and, and buying houses, and they're using uh, Microsoft Teams as a trans as a way to transact on properties, both from the seller side and from the business side. So before, what they would used to do before they use Teams and Orchestry, it would be a whole bunch of emails back and forth and text messages and everything else. Now what they're doing, they're giving both the seller and the buyer 
uh, a Microsoft Teams account. They're using Orchestry to kind of do a whole range of configuration around that. And then all of the communication, all of the transactions, all of the tasks, the documents, and the digital signatures are basically done through Microsoft Teams. So super quick and super, super easy. So that's a, that, that, that's a really, really nice example. Um, the other one that we're working with at the moment, uh, one of our partners is working with, uh, is a nonprofit that runs camps for disadvantaged youths and disadvantaged uh, kids. And what they're doing is they're using Microsoft Teams as a way to manage all of these camps to communicate with their counselors and to their head office also. So I think that's a really, really interesting uh, interesting story. So once again, previously what they would used to do would always to be email-based communication. It was a, it was a huge pain because as you know, you know, even on a single camp, but they run like 150 camps at, at, at mm-hmm. one time. So it's a pretty big, pretty big uh, operation. But they moved away from email. Now they use Orchestry. They they create what they call these these camp workspaces based on Orchestry. And in that camp workspace, all of the um, all of the counselors, all of the staff at the camp. That's where they do all of the communication. That's where the agenda is set up uh, and sent for the day. Even something as simple that I found pretty pretty interesting coming from the hospitality background. That's where the chefs and the cooks for each one of the camps post the daily menu. That's also how they uh, how they collaborate with their external suppliers to get all of those suppliers back and forth. So um, a lot of interesting use cases, and we have, uh, you know, orchestry is not really industry specific. We've got customers from, like I said, retail, law firms, banks, engineering companies. Um, but there, there are a couple of the ways that I found might be interesting to, to the audience. Speaking of chefs. Your background is as a professional chef, and I'm thinking that in there must be a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities between the job of a professional chef and the job of an entrepreneur in terms of coordinating a whirlwind of activities all at the same time, answering to multiple customers at the same time, thinking on your feet. What's it really like? I think it's uh, I think it's I think it's very similar. Um, like you said, Rick, I think working as a professional chef or in hospitality, you're just basically trying to bounce from one day to the other with, you know, there's just so much in flux, right? So you're ordering food and it doesn't come in and you have to change things and customers are complaining and, and, and everything else. Um, you know, and I think that sort of training really helps from an entrepreneurial perspective. I think the ability to multitask um, is something particularly in, in, in hospitality that you learn very, very quickly, both on the front of house side um, and obviously on the, the back of house kitchen kitchen side. Uh, a way to deal with stress as well is probably something um, that I learned, learned really early on just through that hospitality uh, background. And it can apply to, to entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs also. And then also just how to work with people. I think it's a common misconception that you know, entrepreneurs are these solo people that are just going out and changing the world and they're doing it all themselves. Um, that hasn't been my experience. I've always loved working with people and, and, and leading people. And you know, in a in a kitchen, it's almost like a sporting team. You know, you're really working together. There's this there's this strange uh, sense of camaraderie and um, and coordination and, and and collaboration that that happens within kitchens, which I think is really beneficial. Also, from an entrepreneur perspective, making sure that you get the right people on board, you have the right right vision. Everyone knows what they're what what they're trying to do. Also, so it's definitely great great training. I can also tell you from personal experience you know being an entrepreneur after working in kitchens 
for 16 hours a day on your feet is pretty easy, right? You know, <laughs> that's fabulous. <laughs> it's it's fabulous. It's fabulous to, for, for all the stress out entrepreneurs out there to think, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> I could be a professional chef. It definitely could be worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very rarely that you know pans and stuff gets physically thrown at you or you get shouted at when you're an entrepreneur um it's a little bit more more common when you're working in a kitchen <laughs> exactly and we we hope the time will come when we can all go out to restaurants again um speaking of which um we've seen um a lot of business practices changing since the pandemic began we've seen a move towards virtual meeting apps and engaging engagement tools um how has orchestry fared through this and, and has it had an impact on you? So as, um, you know, as sad as it is because of COVID, for us, the timing was um, really, really good. Because like I said, we were a tool that works um, specifically with and on Microsoft Teams. And the influx of teams just because of the, the rush to remote work has been absolutely huge. So for us, the timing couldn't be better. Just so you know, it's not something that we planned um, you know, we started we started developing orchestry uh, on the first of January in 2019. So this was really when you know COVID was not unknown, but we just heard about those cases. But um, we were extremely extremely lucky, and that's one of the things with with entrepreneurship. A lot of times, it's just it's just dumb luck, honestly. Um, you know, for us, all these organizations moving to Microsoft 365, like you said, using these remote work tools and these collaboration tools. Um, and partners helping them on their their journey um, has made it so you know we've been able to launch with um, with a bang and be be really successful and grow much quicker than we originally and, and anticipated. Interesting. Do you have any tips for entrepreneurs in terms of you know this is a time when everyone's hunkering down, doing the best job they can, and looking at how to be more efficient? Are they working on their work on their workflow? Uh, are there ways they could be optimizing that workflow to be more effective and more cost effective? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would say is really look at your sales model. You know, if your sales model revolves around going to trade shows and meeting people in person, um, that's going to be problematic, not just last year, but over, you know, this year. And who knows how long it's going to take until we're after this, this, this COVID model. So for us, um, you know, we never had much of a in-person or an outbound sort of sales model. Ours was much more, um, you know, online and inbound. Probably the biggest tip I would say is if you're an entrepreneur and a lot of your sales motions revolve around trade shows, you know, maybe face-to-face -face meetings or personal relationships, you might have to see if you can change your sales model or even augment that to something that could be more online and, and, and less face-to-face -face and more scalable. Right. Um, you talked to early on about the importance of not so much having a great idea, but being really good at executing. So what does good execution mean to you and how did you get good at execution? I think for me, good execution means that every single touch point a customer or a partner has with your product or your brand, it has to be amazing. Um, and we've really tried to do that with, with orchestry, everything from the marketing side to the sales side, even to something as simple as when we installed the product for customers. You know, we could have uh, traditionally for these enterprise products, the installation is a bunch of scripts and you need to have some sort of technical person and they have to know all of these tools and half the time it doesn't work. And, you know, there's all these steps and they have to go through these things and, you know, they have to pray to various gods just to make sure that this thing installs 
we've you know we took a lot of time making that super seamless and super easy because we know that that's the first touch point that people will have that's the first experience they have with the product and, and with the service and you just have to constantly be looking at um, from an execution perspective how do we make this better and how do we make this easier uh, from your customers or from your end users pers perspective and honestly it can be pretty painful you know there, there's things that you might have to do or invest in um, but from an execution you know perspective we have this this I guess catchphrase in orchestry we call it uh, relentless excellence we want to make sure that everything that we do is is great and if we screw something up we're relentless in making sure that we get it fixed as soon as possible um, because execution isn't isn't a one-time thing it's not just you've launched a product in, into the market and that's it it's a constant thing each day so like i said really concentrating on um you know that that experience for your users your product making sure that it that it, that it works and throughout every single touch point so everything from the marketing side to the sales side to the interactions that you have with people also um, i think that's all part of part of execution also but like i said i truly believe that's the secret you know people just want stuff that works really really well it might not have to be the most innovative um, but i think if it's if it's something that works is useful it provides them value um, then i think ultimately you'll be successful right in terms of uh, your experience in this, if I wanted to go in and, and work on relentless excellence in my own organization, um, how, how does one get started? Is this a technology problem, a customer service problem, a listening issue? Where do you start? I think it's a philosophy problem. I think it's, it's just you know, making, sure that, um, making sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the best of your ability. I mean, I'll give you a really good example. So uh, for us, user experience is, is, is really, really key. And, you know, we looked around for user experience designers um, all around the world. And then we found a company in, in, in Poland that does all of our user, user experience work. Um, and that took us three months just to find, you know, a good, a, 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 good, a good company that can do all of the, 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 the UX work. And then everything we try to do from that point on, we try to make sure that if we get feedback from customers, we respond to that in a quick, timely manner. Um, if we have any demos that we're, we're listening to that, but it, it's, it's really a philosophy. It's making sure that everything that you're trying to do, you try to do to the best of your ability and really if you do that and you have a great product and a great service, I truly believe that all of the financial stuff and all of the success, that'll come. You know, I, I really believe that if you have a great product, a great service, then, like I said, all of the other uh, good stuff will come, will come after that. Right. So just in your personal business capacity as CEO of Orchestry, what's your biggest hope for this year and what's your biggest problem that you need to solve? Uh, I mean, my biggest hope personally is that we hopefully get through this COVID thing um, and particularly coming from the hospitality sector you know the hospitality sector has been completely decimated um, to me it's something that's that's really really sad um, in terms of orchestry I think for us our biggest challenge is really going to be around scaling the company effectively um, you know making sure that as we bring on particularly larger customers um, that we can we, we can do that and then my biggest hope um, is that we can really execute on some of the ideas that we have. We have a lot of new features and, and capabilities that we're working on now um, from, a, from a product pers perspective. 
uh, I think they're great ideas. I just hope that we can execute them in a way that's going to do, uh, you know, do our product and, and do our customers justice. Right. What kind of growth are you expecting this year? Maybe you can tell me in terms of people. How many people are you now? What do you think you'll be at the end of 2021? Yeah. So our goal is to get a million paid active users within a year. So that's our that's our that's our goal. So we want to go from zero to one million paid daily active users on Orchestry within a year. Uh, and we're well on the way there. We're, we're a little bit in front from front of that. We've been open for about four months now. Um, so that's one of our one of our goals. And we have a great network of, of, of partners. And then uh, from growing the company wise, um, honestly, I don't really think about that, Rick. You know, we, we're not trying to hire people just for the sake of hiring people. We, you know, we'll definitely bring on great people when we need them. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure that you know whoever we, we bring on is going to be is going to be effective. But for us, like I said, we, we've got an internal goal of trying to get you know to a million daily active users within with, with, within a year, um, and just to make sure as well that whilst we do that, that the quality of the of the product and the experience is maintained. Right. Okay. Well. Michael, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, we, we, we've talked a lot about execution. We've talked about the importance of passion. We've talked about being nice to people and why that matters and, and making sure that people feel appreciated. And I think you mentioned something up there about not being late for meetings. So maybe we could all take that <laughs> <laughs> under advisement uh, for, for, for this year. Tell me, do you have uh, one more piece of actionable advice that we could offer entrepreneurs uh, and make sure that, the, that, that they leave this conversation with a really good to-do? Uh, a good to do is uh, I would say read, read a lot. That's one of the things that's really helped me um, and concentrate on your mental health. Um, that's that. That's the other thing. I don't view entrepreneurship as, as a marathon. I kind of view it more as high intensity interval training where there's these periods of a lot of stress and a lot of action that happens, but make sure that you have enough downtime also because I, I see far too many entrepreneurs, uh, especially from you know the mental health perspective that really, really suffering. So what I would say is, um, yeah, make sure, especially now with the whole situation and, and how the world is, uh, if you're pushing yourself really hard, uh, make make sure that there's enough room for 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 for, for, for breaks there also. Michael Maserick, thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of Orchestry. Best of luck to you, and we will talk again. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.